Welcome to Revolution and Ideology. This is Nick. We promised our audience that we would do a super short history of the Black Panthers. So this is that. Uh, Buckle your seatbelts because we are going to fly. The Black Panthers were founded in Oakland in response to police brutality from an overwhelmingly white police force. Um, Only 2.5% of the Oakland police force was black at the time. I wish I had to explain to you what police brutality was and how it unequally impacts black communities, but unfortunately, it's still going on today. Bobby Seale and Huey Newton decided that they were going to patrol the police themselves. Huey Newton studied the California state law in detail and learned that it was legal to open carry loaded weapons as long as they maintained a certain distance and did not interfere with the police officers and their work. They purchased bulk quantities of Chairman Mao's Little Red Book and they resold them to UC Berkeley students. They took the profits from this little endeavor and they purchased two shotguns and began following police squad cars throughout the neighborhood. They officially founded the Black Panther Party of Self-Defense in Oakland in October of 1966. They began their police patrols a few months later. You can imagine how these police patrols were depicted in the media. They're depicted as violent aggression, but it's important to note that the Panthers' presence at police stops never resulted in violence from either the Panthers nor the police. This will change later. That's not to say that the Panthers didn't become violent in other ways, but violence never resulted from the actual police patrols. As the Panthers' numbers began to grow, local police departments went to Republican State Congressman Don Mulford, and they urged him to author a bill making it a misdemeanor to carry a loaded weapon in public. The Panthers heard about this, and they decided to appear at the state capitol in Sacramento when the bill was being voted on to protest. And they did this with their guns in hand. While they are trying to find the spectator area of the Capitol building, they inadvertently walk out onto the floor of the state assembly with their weapons in their hands. There are iconic photos of this happening. Now, you can imagine the field day that the media has with this event. The media coverage of this single event led to the Panthers becoming nationally famous basically overnight. The bill eventually did pass and it became known as the Mulford Act. It was enacted in 1967 with the support of then California Governor Ronald Reagan and, get this, the National Rifle Association. It's amazing how opinions on gun control change when those arming themselves are black. I want to stress that again. California Governor Ronald Reagan, with the help of the NRA, helped to pass the Mulford Act in California, making it illegal to open carry loaded weapons in public. I also want to stress it is still illegal to open carry in the state of California as a result of the Mulford Act due to the oppression of the Black Panthers and their rights. This newfound popularity of the Panthers inspires them to open a headquarters in Oakland and they begin publishing the Black Panther newspaper where they lay out their 10-point platform. This is what they're after. One, we want freedom. We want power to determine the destiny of our black community. Number two, we want full employment for our people. Number three, we want an end to the robbery by the white man of our black community. Number four, we want decent housing fit for shelter of human beings. Number five, we want education for our people that exposes the true nature of this decadent American society. We want education that teaches us our true history and our role in the present day society. Number six, we want all black men to be exempt from military service. Number seven, we want an immediate end to police brutality and murder of black people. Number eight, we want freedom for all black men held in federal, state, county, and city prisons and jails. 
Number nine, we want all black people when brought to trial to be tried in court by a jury of their peer group or people from their black communities, as defined by the Constitution of the United States. And number 10, we want land, bread, housing, education, clothing, justice, and peace. They also established 26 rules for every official member of the party. I won't read all of them. Here are a few. Number one, no party member can have narcotics or weed in his possession while doing party work. Number two, any party member found shooting narcotics will be expelled from this party. Number three, no party member can be drunk while doing party work. Number four, no party member will violate rules relating to office work, general meetings of the Black Panther Party, and meetings of the Black Panther Party elsewhere. Number five, no party member will use, point, or fire a weapon of any kind unnecessarily or accidentally at anyone. Number eight, no party member will commit any crimes against other party members or black people at all and cannot steal or take from the people, not even a needle or a piece of thread. Number nine, when arrested, Black Panther members will give only name, address, and will sign nothing. Legal first aid must be understood by all party members. Upon being released from prison, Eldridge Cleaver joins the Panthers in 1967. He was quite a bit older than most of the rest of the members of the party. In 67, Cleaver was 32 years old and had spent 15 of those years behind bars. In 1967, Bobby Seale is only 25 years old and Huey Newton is 31. In October 1967, Huey Newton is pulled over by Oakland police and a shootout ensues. Two police officers and Newton are all shot. One police officer dies and Newton is handcuffed in the hospital and charged with voluntary manslaughter. From jail, Huey Newton professes his innocence and this leads to free Huey demonstrations that become a movement in themselves. In the aftermath of the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Eldridge Cleaver leads 11 other Panthers in an ambush on police officers. In the ensuing shootout, Cleaver and 17-year-old Bobby Hutton surrender. Upon surrendering, the police shoot Bobby Hutton 12 times. He immediately becomes a martyr of the movement. 1,500 people attended his funeral and 2,000 people attended the rally following the funeral. Actor Marlon Brando delivered a eulogy and his death at the hands of the police garners an incredible amount of support for the Panthers. Eldridge Cleaver is charged with murder after the incident and he flees the country. First to Cuba, then to Algeria, where he sets up an international chapter of the Black Panthers, which receives support from many countries. This results in a large influx of new members. Many of the new members are college students, which leads to some tension within the party. The original urban black membership wants to maintain its street image, while others want the party to adopt a more mainstream image. It's important to note the importance of the Black Panther image in recruiting new members. Martin Luther King Jr. was always mainstream in his rhetoric and attire. He wore church suits. Malcolm X, while his rhetoric was more radical, his image was still conservative. He still wore suits. The Panthers were radical in both rhetoric and image. This was more relatable to poor blacks, and this is one of the factors that led to them being so popular. The name of the party was officially shortened from the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense to the Black Panther Party. It's at this point that the party starts focusing on its quote-unquote survival programs. The Panthers create free breakfast programs for children, clothing and food drives, free clinics, free sickle cell testing programs, free self-defense training, free classes on politics and economics, free drug and alcohol rehabilitation program. By this time, mid to late 1960s, party membership is over 10,000 and there are chapters in Atlanta, Baltimore, Boston, Chicago, Cleveland, Dallas, Denver, Detroit, Kansas City, Los Angeles, Newark, 
New Orleans, New York City, Omaha, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, San Diego, San Francisco, Seattle, Toledo, and Washington, D.C. The Black Panther newspaper is the most widely read newspaper in the United States, with a readership of over 250,000 per week. In 1968, the Panthers Breakfast Program provided 20,000 meals for children in 19 different communities. Due to their growing popularity, FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover attacked the Black Panther Party publicly. He authors an article that gets published in national newspapers in which he says, quote, The Black Panther Party, without question, represents the greatest threat to the internal security of the country. This leads us to COINTELPRO. We can't possibly do justice to the entire COINTEL program in this episode. Just know that COINTEL stands for counterintelligence, and it was a program created by the FBI to deal with quote-unquote dissidents in the United States. But frankly, the majority of its activities targeted the Black Panther Party. J. Edgar Hoover, director of the FBI, sends a memo to all FBI field offices. This memo says... The purpose of this new counterintelligence endeavor is to expose, disrupt, misdirect, discredit, or otherwise neutralize the activities of black nationalists, hate-type organizations, and groupings, their leadership, spokesmen, membership, and supporters, and to counter their propensity for violence and civil disorder. You are urged to take an enthusiastic and imaginative approach to this new counterintelligence endeavor, and the Bureau will be pleased to entertain any suggestions or techniques you may recommend. Here's just one example of some activities from an official FBI memo. It says, San Francisco has submitted a counterintelligence proposal which involves the mailing of expulsion letters to approximately six members of the Black Panther Party in various parts of the United States as a disruptive measure. The letters are to be prepared on Black Panther Party stationery with the simulated signature of a Black Panther Party national official. The laboratory has prepared similar reproductions of Black Panther Party stationery and official signatures in the past. As pointed out in this letter, we need additional information before going ahead with the preparation of the letters. So their plan is to send letters to different Black Panther Party members on official Black Panther Party stationery, telling them they have been expelled from the party to create confusion and disorganization within the party. In its lifetime, the COINTEL program was responsible for 290 official activities. Of those, 245 targeted the Black Panthers specifically. In 1968, Bobby Seale attended the Democratic National Convention, where he delivered a speech. He gets arrested and charged with conspiracy to cross state lines to induce a riot. In an effort to stamp out all Black Panther activity, the FBI worked with New York City Police Department and arrested 21 members, including all of the leadership of the New York City chapter. The police claimed that the Panthers had involved in a plot to bomb police stations and other locations throughout the city. These arrested activists become known as the Panther 21. At Bobby Seale's trial in Chicago in October 1969, his attorney was ill and could not arrive in time for the trial. Seal attempted to represent himself, but the judge refused, having him gagged and chained to his chair. He gets charged with contempt of court 16 times and is sentenced to four years in prison. All other charges were dropped. Remember, he was charged with crossing state lines to incite a riot. All of those charges get dropped, and he is instead charged with 16 contempt of court charges as a result of fighting against the gagging that the judge ordered. As word of this gets out, huge demonstrations begin to take place outside of the courthouse during the trial in Chicago. 
This leads us to the rise of Fred Hampton. During the demonstrations outside of the courthouse, Fred Hampton, who at the time was 21 years old, addresses the crowd. He was the chairman of the Illinois chapter and deputy chairman of the national chapter of the Black Panther Party. He emphasizes revolution. He emphasizes racial unity. Due to his charisma and incredible organizing skills, he quickly rises to national prominence. Hampton establishes what he names the Rainbow Coalition, which is a coalition of diverse racial and ethnic working-class activist groups working together, including the Students for a Democratic Society, the Brown Berets, the Red Guard Party, and even Chicago gangs who agree to maintain peace and work together. This Rainbow Coalition becomes a target of FBI activity. The Black Panther Party establishes what they call Panther Pads. Panther members left home and moved in together for the safety of their families. They were very organized, organized for security, cleaning, cooking, etc., and building a community in the movement. The FBI manipulated this situation. FBI informants gave Panthers guns. They then told the police that they were armed and should be attacked. So the FBI is furnishing them with weapons, then they're telling the local police forces that they are armed and dangerous. The key example of this going down is when local police, having been giving a layout of the apartment of Fred Hampton and the other Black Panthers, invade the apartment in the middle of the night with the intent to assassinate Fred Hampton. The police fire 90 shots into the apartment. Later investigations find that the Black Panthers fired once, most likely accidental, when the guard who was guarding the door was shot and his gun went off. It turns out that Hampton's personal bodyguard was an FBI informant. Like I said, he provided the floor plans and a key to the Black Panther pad. He also is one that sold guns to the Black Panther members, guns provided to him by the FBI. The police immediately provide an account of events. They say there must have been six or seven of them firing. The firing must have gone on 10 or 12 minutes. If 200 shots were exchanged, that was nothing. It's a miracle that not one policeman was killed. They recreate a life-size model of the apartment and have the raiding officers act out the raid for national television. The problem is they did not secure the scene after they left. And the media and other community members are invited by the Black Panther Party to enter into the apartment and to see for themselves what went down and they immediately notice contradictions in the police version versus the evidence they see with their own eyes in the apartment. A federal investigation concluded that the police immediately shot and killed Mark Clark. He's the guard on the door. They most likely shot him through the door before it had ever been opened. They then enter the apartment and begin unloading through the walls in the direction of Fred Hampton's bed. They find Hampton laying in his bed unconscious but still breathing, drag him into the hallway, and shoot him two times in the head at point-blank range. The surviving Panthers all testify that they hear one officer say, he's good and dead now. Now the question, how many shots were fired? Like I said earlier, the federal investigation concludes that one shot at most, even this can't be confirmed, came from the Black Panthers, and it came from Clark, who was shot dead, presumably through the door before it was even opened. He was holding a shotgun. When he was shot, the shotgun fired and went through the ceiling. The police fired between 82 and 99 rounds into the apartment. Like I said, the Panthers shot one, accidentally, into the ceiling. No police are ever charged. The families of Hampton and Clark, who are the two that are killed during the raid, charge the police department with wrongful death. After a 13-year lawsuit, the police department settles for $1.8 million. Fred Hampton immediately becomes a martyr for the movement. SWAT in Los Angeles raids Black Panther Party headquarters on December 8, 1969. This was the first deployment of the newly formed Los Angeles SWAT team. They enter the headquarters at 4.30 a.m. with a no-knock warrant. 
The standoff lasts for five hours and involved over 300 LAPD officers. Six Panthers and three officers are wounded. Eventually, the Panthers surrender. Many Panthers are arrested on many charges, including conspiracy to murder police officers, which carried a life sentence. After a trial, the jury determines that the Panthers were acting in self-defense, and all were found not guilty. Now remember that Huey Newton had been charged in his shootout with police. In 1970, all of his charges are dropped and he is freed from prison. He immediately becomes an icon for the movement. Though it's around this time that the Black Panther Party begins its downfall. People become afraid to join the party because they know that the FBI has infiltrated and were everywhere and the police were arresting for no reason. And even if found not guilty, they'd spend time in jail. Huey Newton expels the Panther 21, who are still in jail at this time. The legal fees of their defense were becoming too much for the Black Panther Party to support. Eldridge Cleaver sides with the Panther 21 and the party becomes split between Huey Newton, who wants to focus on social services and Eldridge Cleaver who wants to lead a more radical movement. The schism is between those who saw the party as a vehicle for social service and those who viewed it as a vehicle to overthrow the United States government. J. Edgar Hoover and the FBI pounce on this opportunity. The FBI intensifies the internal conflict and creates an atmosphere of paranoia. This leads to infighting among the Panthers themselves. The Panthers begin more political activities. Bobby Seale ran for mayor of Oakland in 1970, and Elaine Brown ran for city council. The Panthers consolidate and close down all chapters other than Oakland in order to focus on the election. They register between 20,000 and 50,000 people to vote. Bobby Seale loses the election. They lose their national presence as a result of the consolidation completely. Huey Newton essentially at this point kind of goes off the rails. He's suffering from mental health issues. He becomes abusive and addictive to drugs. People began leaving the party in mass. The party ceases to exist by 1982. There's more history here to its downfall, but you get the idea. In the end, Eldridge Cleaver returns to the United States to face his murder charge. He avoids jail time by accepting a plea deal to reduce the charge to assault. He becomes a born-again Christian and political conservative. He died in 1988. Huey Newton is murdered by gang members in Oakland in 1989 while trying to buy drugs. Bobby Seale ran for mayor of Oakland in 1873 and lost in a runoff election. He is still an activist living in California. As of this episode, he's 84 years old. In short, the Black Panther Party severely underestimated the power and influence and the resources that law enforcement at a local, state, and federal level would use to try to eradicate the movement. The co-intel program created by FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover relentlessly targeted the Panthers, oftentimes, most of the times, illegally, and eventually led to the downfall of the Panther Party.